Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and as you know, it is my eternal quest to acquaint you with some interesting people in the show business industry that uh, you may not know, and uh, that is the case this week and next, as my guest is Rich Fields. Now, Rich Fields was for seven years the announcer on The Price is Right. So we're going to talk game shows. We're going to talk about how Rich Fields broke in to The Price is Right. Literally. <laughs> how he, A, broke in when he was a kid, and how he eventually got the job as the announcer, and there was something like two million people who applied for that job. Anyway, it's a fascinating interview. You are going to enjoy meeting Rich Fields this week on Hollywood and Levine. Okay, well, first of all, just to convince the audience that I am indeed talking to the announcer from The Price is Right, Rich, will you come on down me? Ken Levine, come on down. There you go. <laughs> there it is. That's the voice. Rich, thank you for being here. The My thing pleasure. I, I want to talk about, which which to me is so remarkable about your story is we all have our lifelong dreams. How many of us actually get to live out our lifelong dreams? And your dream to be the announcer on The Price is Right started when you were a kid and you tell a great story about actually going to The Price is Right and talking to Johnny Olson, who, of course, was the longtime announcer on The Price is Right. Talk about that story and that day. Well, I was uh, on my way to the U.S. Naval Academy. I was a senior in high school, and I'd, I'd gotten two appointments to the uh, Annapolis. And um, my brothers both went to military academies. I was supposed to go to a military academy, and I didn't want to go. And I was months away from uh, getting on a bus in Tampa, Florida, and heading up to Annapolis, Maryland. And, 
And my dad had just gotten a motor home and he decided to take us on a family trip. Well, half a family. My two brothers were already gone out in college. But uh, he took my mom, my sister and me uh, on this motorhome trip to California. And we were driving by uh, CBS Television City in Hollywood one day during a visit out there. And I was like, I was enthralled. I was 18 years old. I I was like, oh, my God, you know, see that white building over there? That's CBS. That's where they tape the prices right. And, and you know, whether my mom, dad, or my sister Debbie even looked out the window of the motorhome to see it. Uh, <laughs> I, I Like I said in my book, uh, I, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I I, I felt that I, I should be there. I mean, that wasn't the first time in my life that I felt I, I was going to be there or should be there. I mean, like you said, it started as a little kid. But we went to Farmer's Market, which you may know is right next door to CBS, right. and had some lunch there. And uh, my mom and my sister went off to do some shopping, and my dad and I were sitting there eating our our, our sandwiches. And I was looking out the window of uh, the Farmer's Market area there, and I could see people queuing up. At a turnstile gate, a very tall, seven-foot-long turnstile gate where they would buzz their card through and it would make one turn, you know, and let one person through at a time. And I said to my dad, I said, looks like those people are, are CBS employees coming back from, from lunch, huh? And my dad looked over and, hmm. And he grabbed the papers off the table and wrappers and everything. He, he stood up right away and he said, come on, let's go. And I said, where are we going? He said, uh, just just follow me and hurry up. And we threw all our wrappers and everything away, and we quickly walk ran up to the back of this line just in time to to get there as the last person went through the gate of CBS. And um, I, I, the gate had locked. My dad was there to try it right away, and certainly, you know, it wasn't going to allow for more than one person to go through. But there was a little intercom there on the gate, and it said, if you need help from the guard, push this button or something like that. And so my dad pushed the button, and this voice came over the intercom, and it said, can I help you? And my dad, I mean, really sharp guy, I mean, really well-spoken and quick on his feet right away. It was like, hey, um, I forgot my card. Can you buzz me through? And, and the, the gate buzzed, and Dad took me, and he shoved me through the gate. And here I am now standing on CBS property, and Dad's still locked out. <laughs> but wasn't for long. Because dad pushed the button again and and the voice came back and said, can I help you? And dad said, I'm sorry, I didn't get through the gate in time. Can you can you buzz me again? <laughs> the buzzer buzzes and now dad's through and we're on CBS. <laughs> that, just two tourists. <laughs> so um, we walked up the uh, back loading ramp of CBS there by the commissary and and right into these massive elephant doors. I mean, 30 feet high, 30 feet wide. You could drive two semis through CBS Television City if you've ever been there. You know, I have. And, it, and it's quite impressive. And here we are. We're walking around the hallways, and all of a sudden, I see pricing games for the Price is Right. And I was like, "Oh my God, look at this!" You know, they're having a show today, and and I'm screwing around. I'm walking around. I'm going to where the models reveal are reveals are. You know, <laughs> hey, Dad, guess how much this refrigerator is? <laughs> and we hear this voice from down the hall. This guy saying, "You know, hey, what are you two doing here?" And and uh, I got scared right away. Again, I'm only 18 years old. My dad's a little more grizzled than I. But uh, the guy came hurriedly from down the hall. And uh, he's like, why don't either of you two have uh, employee badges or, or or guest badges? Who are you and what are you doing here? And, and my dad, you know, older guy, and he was dressed well. And he he was just, uh, he said, oh, that's right. He's with me. I'm just showing him around. And and most people back down at that point or, or go about their way. But this guy kind of called his bluff and he was like, and who are you? 
<laughs> so the jig was up and we had to tell the guy, you know, we snuck in and we were just fans and he gets on his walkie talkie and right away he's like, Hey, I need a price producer backstage right now. And, um, this woman comes scurrying out from the stage and she's got a clipboard and her, her own walkie talkie in her hand. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but it was associate producer, Kathy Greco, who's been on the show forever. And, and Kathy comes out and the guy says, these two people are out here. They've seen every price. You've got to change out every prize here for this upcoming show because the show's compromised. And Kathy was like, you, you, you can't. We're, we're seconds away from starting the show. Barker's ready to walk out on stage. And the guy says, well, you got to do something about these two people because they, they know everything about the show right now. You know, you need to put them someplace where you can keep an eye on them. And so Kathy said, look, we'll have them sit with us at the producer's table off stage. That way we know they're not hand signaling anybody. Not that, I mean, it's not a big deal anyway. You're allowed to yell out prices there. I mean, <laughs> it was right. just really silly. It was like overreaction at the time. So, um, Kathy and Roger, I meet Roger backstage, and Kathy and Roger decided to put us in the very back row up there where the uh, house sound technician's little booth is. We sat right next to him. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, music, house lights go down, music starts pumping, and and it's uh, that 70s song, Disco Inferno by The Tramps. You remember that song? Sure dun, dun. do. Yeah, I played it many times. And he also comes on <laughs> stage, and, and he's dancing, and, and the crowd's loving it, and he, after a couple of minutes, he tells the house sound guy to bring the music down. And he's like, oh, I'm getting too old for that. And then the audience laughed like it was a sitcom, you know, like canned laughter out of a sitcom. Right. Was, he was doing the warm up. He was doing the warm up. Right. Yep. So he told everybody what they could do, what they couldn't do if they got on stage with Bob. And he was about done. And he said, are there any questions out there in the audience? And, um, you know, here I am struggling with the fact that my dad and I are supposed to be sequestered back there and not involved in anything. And I desperately wanted to say something to Johnny Olson. And, and Johnny says, are there any questions out there in the audience? And a split second went by and I didn't say anything. And my dad kind of gently nudged me in the ribs and he, he kind of motioned like, you know, say something, you know. And so I, I jumped up out of my back seat. I was like, yeah, Johnny, I got a question for you. How do I get your job? And the crowd laughed like a sitcom again, Ken. And mm -hmm. he says, oh, you think you can do my job, kid? Come on down, Johnny Olson says. Come on down. <laughs> yeah, he says, "Let's hear, let's hear what you got." And the, the clouds, crowds clapping, and they're trying yeah. to egg me on. But it was like the fastest "Come on down" you ever saw, man. I I was up there so quick, Ken. You couldn't even have counted to two. And <laughs> so I get up there by Johnny on stage, and he 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 says, "Here, take this microphone, kid." Use my name. He said, call me down to contestants row. Let's hear what you got. So I took his microphone and I said as clearly and as in my best announcer voice, I said, Johnny Olson, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Well, the crowd went wild. I mean, it was like <laughs> I, I was hooked. I needed that the rest of my life. I needed that live audience reaction. It, it hit an adrenaline button for me and I was hooked the rest of my life and and they loved it and johnny you know he he kind of looks around to the crowd like really, really? and and then great actor <laughs> he grabs that microphone away from me says give me back that microphone kid before mr barker hears you in back now go sit down <laughs> and, and i laughed too and i ran down the steps but as i was running back to my seat i'll never forget this it was like slow motion ken it was like it was like all, all of a sudden like maybe two timelines of my life just kind of like slowly merged and and in slow motion, I remember turning around back to Johnny at the stage, and he said, boy, that young man did a great job. I see game shows in his future. 
And I was like, oh my God, Johnny Olson just told me I'm walking, running back to my seat. Game shows are in my future. This is my lifelong dream. I want this guy's job. I told everybody from grade school to high school, the nuns in school. I told college roommates someday I'm going to be Bob Barker's announcer on The Price is Right. I'm going to work with Bob Barker. I'm going to work with Bob Barker. I mean, everywhere I, I went and worked, everyone that knows me knew I wanted to work with Bob Barker and the price is right as the announcer. So for to hear Johnny Olson, you know, exclaim something like that, it was like it, it was like watching a movie and that was um what do they call it when you see a little bit in the movie that later on in the movie it's gonna it's gonna turn out to be a big deal. Um not a premonition, but um oh it's sorry. set up. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging a lantern. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hanging a lantern. <laughs> yeah, there's the technical term for it. That's what it was it was like it's a premonition, yeah. It was like Johnny, my my predecessor, one of my predecessors, uh saying, you know, hey, game shows are in his future. And that just that just excited me beyond belief and really there's a Jewish expression, beshert. Beshert meant, meant to be. Um meant to be, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And to so, be so did that change your plans? Did you go to Annapolis? Or, you know, who has a good game show curriculum? <laughs> That'd be the University of Miami. It's got to be a party school that has a great Nobody game asked. show host curriculum. Talked with the folks at the University of Florida, the chancellor, the the dean of the College of Journalism and Communications about uh, some kind of entertainment curriculum, host curriculum, uh, because, you know, they have. They, the, I ended up going to the University of Florida. I didn't go to Annapolis. That whole trip to California really, uh, it cemented to me that I did not want to go to the military academy. I wanted to get into broadcasting. I wanted to get to Hollywood and be Bob's announcer. And and it was after that trip that my dad and I, a former military guy, and my mom, a former military woman, two brothers now in military. You know, I felt like I was like going to be the black sheep of the family. So after sitting down with dad and having a heart to heart, I was like, dad, I do not want to go to Annapolis, you know. And he said, look, find by me. He said, if you can find a way to pay for it. And that's all that mattered to dad, really. He couldn't afford to send any of us to college. So we, ha we had to go to these military schools. And we knew that from little kids. So we, we worked accordingly to get those grades and get those appointments and get those military uh, uh, schools to, to court us. Mm -hmm. So I ended up not going. I went to the University of Florida because they had a TV station, a commercial market TV station, and three commercial market radio stations. I said, there's, there's not a better broadcasting college in the country. But when I got there, there was nothing for anybody that wanted to be in entertainment or shows or you know any kind of Hollywood stage stuff at, at all. So it was difficult you know, finding my way as a young broadcaster to get to Hollywood. You got a degree in meteorology. Nice. And you also became a top 40 disc jockey. So yeah. when you did weather on TV stations, you actually knew what you were talking about. Yeah. At the University of Florida, I got a degree in, um, uh, they call it a Bachelor of Science in Telecommunications. Um, for years, like, honestly, for 30 years, I always wrote down, my degree was a bachelor of science in broadcasting. And I, as it turns out, it's not, it's, it, it's what they called telecommunications back in 1984, but now there's broadcasting degrees. And I went and I, I ended up, uh, you know, trying to go to Hollywood as a radio guy, you know, thinking that I, I, I could make a name for myself on the airwaves of Los Angeles. And that way uh, auditions would be easier if folks recognized me or my name. 
But when that didn't pan out after almost a decade, I said, look, you know, I got to retool and revamp. I got to come back as a TV person because I heard about Pat Sajak getting plugged off, plucked off a of KNBC to do Wheel of Fortune or David Letterman in Indiana being a weatherman or uh, umpteen people who were in TV news who made the jump. And I said, OK, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get seen on Los Angeles television. And that way, when I go into these auditions, these these casting people, these producers will probably recognize me as being from a, a, t- a television station in L.A. So I came back home to Florida to study meteorology, and I uh, did that um, online through Mississippi State University. So I got all my meteorology training, uh, except for the lab courses. I had to go to Mississippi State for the lab courses and actually physically be there. But the rest of it, I did all online. I watched all the classes live online as they happened and, and took all the tests and everything. So, yeah, by the time I became a, a meteorologist, yeah, I, I knew what I was talking about. Still do. And you wound up in Palm Springs. Now, yes. to be the weather guy in Palm Springs, don't you just need to know it's hot, it's a thousand degrees, it'll be a thousand degrees tomorrow and the next day and the next can't you just record one weather cast and then replay it from april to october the whole thing about palm springs was when when i came back home and i started studying through mississippi state for meteorology uh i told my agent uh, i said look paul paul anderson out of seattle i said look paul i uh, get me a get me a TV station somewhere in Southern California so that my next jump is into Los Angeles. You know, I want to be within driving distance of doing auditions uh, for game shows. I want to be Bob Barker's announcer on The Price is Right, remember, so get me close. And uh, he called me back, man, maybe a week or two later. He says, look, I got a brand new CBS station popping up, brand new affiliate. It's just outside of Los Angeles. I said, what's the market size? He said, 134. I said, okay, I don't care. What's what city? Where is it at? He said, Palm Springs. I said, I'll, I'll take it. Really, Rich? I said, yes. I can get you a bigger market elsewhere in the country. Why are you hog tying me to Southern California? I said, because Paul, weather is not the carrot. I said, the carrot you got to remember is game shows. It's Bob Barker. It's The Price Is Right. Oh, God, you're so narrow minded. Why? You know, you, you, we'd make a whole lot more money together if you, I said no. Call the folks in Palm Springs back. Tell them I'd love an interview. Let's do it. And he did. And I got the job. Uh, one interview with the people out there. And, and boom, I was I was on. I was going to be their uh, morning weather guy. I got there maybe six, seven months into it. They moved me to nights, made me the chief meteorologist. And uh, it was huge exposure because Palm Springs is that bedroom community of Los Angeles where every star, Monty Hall, everybody, Chrissy from Three's Company, you name it. They all have homes out in Palm Springs. Every producer, every director, everybody comes out to Palm Springs on the weekend. And uh, I met a lot of people. There are a lot of people that I ended up uh, knowing for the rest of my life. And um, Monty Hall being one of them. And, and, and a lot of great advice that helped me get into uh, game shows in Los Angeles. And it worked out. And, of course, it has to be the easiest gig. I, I say this only half facetiously, but it's a 1,000 degrees in Palm Springs every day for like seven, eight months. So what, what was your your normal weather cast like just looking into the camera going <laughs> it's a thousand degrees oh can you stay can't inside 
No, you can't do that. I mean, I was comedic relief. Uh, you've got to give them the weather. And it's really, you're doing Southern California weather. You're not doing Palm Springs weather. You're so close to uh, San Diego and Palm Springs. You're doing a, a, a huge uh, metro area. Maybe, uh, I think, L.A., L.A. and the counties around it is about 9 million. San Diego and the counties around it, another 6 million. I mean, you're talking to a so lot. So you're doing weather for the whole area. Yes. There. Yeah. So you, you got to be right. You got to know what's coming in off the coast, off the Pacific Ocean. You got to know what kind of lows are coming in, what kind of high pressure systems are coming in. Not only going to affect the coast, but yes, us, you know, 40 minutes inland uh, from the coast in Palm Springs, uh, if it can get over the mountains, the mountains are a shield. And that's why it's a desert community over there. But, you know, you got to know what you're talking about. and You got to do real weather cast. But again, I took it with a grain of salt, knowing that, you know, uh, po- folks in Palm Springs just want to know what tomorrow's high is and what's t- what tonight's overnight low is going to be. Because as you may know, in the desert, uh, it, it gets very cold. I mean, as soon as the sun goes down, uh, the radiational cooling is unbelievable. There's no cloud cover over the area to hold in the radiational heat. So the heat escapes in the atmosphere and the deserts cool off very cold at night. So that's the two things they want to know. And so I'd give it to them and then I'd mess around with the anchors, you know, and, and laugh with them. I'd laugh with them coming in and I'd laugh with them going out. And I was really the comedic relief. And I enjoyed that role for the rest of my career. I kind of went into every single uh, broadcast situation, TV station that way, even down here in Tampa, Florida, I just retired uh, almost a year ago from the uh, CBS affiliate here in Tampa, Florida, even here where weather's a big deal, hurricanes, all kinds of stuff, uh, tornadoes coming in off the Gulf of Mexico any any time, any day. Even then, I would still be lighthearted with everybody. I'd give the information I needed to give. When it was a serious storm, I was serious. But, you know, I I enjoyed exuding some kind of personality. I looked at it as a training ground to the day I could get in front of a camera on a game show. Right. So... Now, Rod Roddy, who is the uh, announcer for The Price is Right, passes away. You hear about it. What's your next step? I never forget that night. Uh, It was just before the 11 o'clock news. And, you know, we're all gussied up, you know, shirt, tie, coat, mics, IFB in your ear. And we're just minutes away. And I'm sitting at my desk putting some graphics together. And uh, Eric Sandoval, our lead anchor, came over to me and he laid this is this is the days of uh, AP wire and stuff coming across the wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he it was rip and read copy. And he, he came over to my desk and he laid down this piece of white rip and read that he just ripped off of the AP wire. And it said uh, the dateline said Hollywood dot dot dot. Rod Roddy, the announcer, of the price is right, has just passed away in Los Angeles. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, my God, in my head and Eric. I looked up at Eric and right away, he said, what are you going to do? Because again, everybody around me all my life, I don't care where I went. I told everybody I wanted to be Bob Barker's announcer. And I said, he said, what are you going to do? And I looked up at him. I said, I'm calling the prices right tomorrow. And I did. And it was a cold call. I didn't know anybody, but I had a little bit of a calling card in the fact that the prices right used to be a Mark Goodson production, a Mark Goodson show. And everybody that worked on it, came from that factory, from that Mark Goodson, Bill Todman uh, game show factory, including the producers, Roger Dobkowitz, Kathy Greco, Bob, mm-hmm. you know. So when I called, uh, I got a hold of Roger Dobkowitz. I was shocked that he picked up his own phone. Hi, it's Roger. I said, hi, Roger. You don't know me from a hole in the wall, but my name's Rich Fields, and I was the announcer on a Florida lottery game show produced by Mr. Goodson. It's the Florida lottery's Flamingo Fortune. 
and boom, right away, it seemed to be the the door opener that I needed. Well, hi, Rich. Nice to meet you. You worked for Mr. Goodson, too. I said, yes, sir, I did down here in Florida. I, I did three years, you know, uh, announcing on, on Flamingo Fortune. I said, I understand, you know, Rod Roddy has passed away. I'm, I'm Roger. I'm not being a vulture, but I know production and I'm sure it has to go on. If you guys need somebody to fill in. How can I get a tape in front of you and Mr. Barker? I mean, it was that simple of wording out of me. And he was like, well, yes, uh, send me send me off some. It, it was the days that no more cassettes. Now it was CDs. Everybody was putting all their demos on the CD. Send me mm-hmm. off a CD me your work and and uh, we'll go from there. And I said, well, do you want like radio stuff or do you want stuff from Flamingo Fortune and game show stuff? He said, both. Let's hear both. So I did. About a week or 10 days went by. <clears throat> I didn't hear anything from Roger. And I was getting kind of worried. I was getting lost in the shuffle because now I'm watching the show and I am hearing other voices. Right. But these are shows. These are guys that were filling in for Rod while he was sick before he passed away. Now they're catching up, you know, and now I hear these other voices. So I call Prices right back. I get Roger on the phone. He's like, hi, Rich. I was just going to call you. He said, we got your CD. We, we like what we heard. Um, we'd like to take this to the next level. I said, what's that? He said, I'm going to send you Rod's script for a particular show. I want you to go and record this script. Uh, we want to hear you do real prices, right? Reads. We want to hear you do the opening. We want to hear you do the mid break, you know, the ticket plug for tickets, you know, right. Prices, right. CBS television city, you know, 6,800 <laughs> Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles. We want to hear you do that. We want to hear you do a couple of prize descriptions, record that, send it back to us. I said, okay. So he sends me out the script. I, I go to K-Dez in Palm Springs, K-D-E-Z. In yeah, K, yeah. That's a big radio station. Program director there, Rick Shaw. God bless you, Rick. He opened his doors for me, <laughs> and I went to a production studio on a Saturday, and I cut this stuff for Roger. I recorded it on another CD. Boom. You know, snail mailed it back to, I mean, this is before digital. Yeah, no, I know. Today, it just <laughs> pop so, it in the internet. Yeah. So um, I wait a couple of days. I'm antsy. I'm really I'm hearing other different voices on the show now because I watched every day since I was a kid. And, um, you know, I'm trying to wait it out. I'm trying not to be real anxious and and ruin any kind of position I thought I might have had negotiating later. Yeah. You can't keep just calling and hocking them. Yeah. First, you know. Mm. So I called Roger back and he was like, we, we must have ESP together. I was just going to call you again. I said, and in my head, I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm working off intuition. I'm working off of what my inner GPS is telling me every time I make a phone call, waiting to make a phone call that extra day, you know, all of my timing with everything I did in life was listening to my own intuition about it. And it, and once I understood that my intuition was right 100% of the time, I just started guiding my life by it, honest to God. And uh, so Roger says, you know, I think we have ESP. And we loved your reads that you did. We want to take it to the next level. Oh, he actually said, Mr. Barker. Mr. Barker loved your reads and would like it to take it to the next level. I said, what's that? He said, we want you to come in and audition with Bob. And I was like, my head about exploded. (laughs) I'm freaking out. I wanted to scream. You know what I mean? A lifelong dream is is starting to come to fruition. And and where the timeline as a kid was this long. And then as a a teenager, it was this long. And then in college, it was this long. And then I got into radio and it was this. But now all of a sudden, the timeline was like this. And I was like right there, Ken. And 
And I said, well, well, okay. I said, uh, when do you want to do it? And he said, uh, how about Monday? And this was like on a Wednesday we were talking. And, I, and I'm employed at a CBS affiliate in Palm Springs as their main weather guy. I said, Monday, okay, okay. He said, can you do it? And I was like, yes, I can do it. <laughs> I said, what time do I, What I was trying to figure out, you know, take 40 or 90 minutes to drive from Palm Springs out to LA. So I was trying to get timing in my head, what time of the day he wanted to do this audition. So I said, what time does Mr. Barker want to do it? Does he want to do it early in the morning before shows? Does he want to do it after shows? And, and Roger was like, oh, no, this is on the air with Bob. I, I was like, you you're kidding me. <laughs> I said, so what time is the show? He says, well, the first show of the day is at 1030. The second show is at three. I said, I'm going to do two shows. He says, well, we'd like you to do the entire week. Two shows Monday, two shows Tuesday, two shows Wednesday. Again, my head about freaking exploded. I couldn't yeah. believe it. to do six live shows with Mr. Barker that are going to be on CBS. I, I, it was It was insane. <laughs> back on it that it was just nuts i was so excited it was crazy so i said yeah i'll be there and i i i, I, I called my news director right away and i didn't dare try to tell them what was going on just yet because this was a brand new startup i was their main guy they had just bought a whole flight of billboards they were all over southern california my picture on them you know you know cbs2 you know rich fields weather and they spent a lot of money they had they had invested a lot in me in a three-year contract in me as well and and i was like god i didn't know what to do about that but i certainly wanted to get this audition with mr barker so i i called i called in some vacation time i said look i know it's short notice but can i get off monday tuesday wednesday of next week and they were like, yeah, sure, and cleared it. So I went to Hollywood and, and did these live shows with Mr. Barker, and it was out-of-body, Ken, out-of-body experience. Oh, I can imagine. How terrified were you, in addition to being excited? <laughs> how terrified were you the very first time? It's funny you word it that way because I – can't tell you where the div division the dividing line was be between being terrified and 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 ecstatically excited it it was like oh it was a it was a exciting terror right that i couldn't wait to jump into i my, and my brain is like it doesn't know what's coming you know and it's going through a million scenarios what do i do here what do, how do i get that how do i you know I, and so there's that excitement. There's the excitement of actually going to meet my TV, you know, idol um, and work with the people that I wanted to work with my entire life. It was, it was, Ken, it's, it's, it's indescribable. There you go. I can't even describe the terror slash excitement that I had. I wanted it. I wanted the terror. I wanted the excitement. Yeah, no, you're if you're an adrenaline junkie, yeah, that's kind of what you live for. What was it like the very first time you met Bob Barker <laughs> after all this time? So I'm there that first Monday. I'm in the I'm in the first Monday morning production meeting. We're going to shoot two shows that day, and the and the morning production meeting is in the green room. It's with the director and the associate director and the producers and the models and and me, the announcer and the stage. Uh, um, um, directors and it's to go through every single act of the show every single game that's going to be played every single 
prize that's going to be given away, every single door that's going to be open, every turntable turning. It's it's very involved, and it's a it's like a table read of the day's script and uh, show shots sheets where the director tells the model, I want you to stand here. Camera three, I need right here. I need camera two on this angle, you know? And so it's very involved. And so we're in this first production meeting and I'm, I'm, I'm going through this and, and Roger Dobkowitz comes walking in the pr- producer of the price is right. And I see following behind him is Mr. Barker. And f- at first I, I looked up through the, the green room door and watching Roger and Bob come in. And I was first taken aback by Bob not being all suit and tied like I'd seen him on TV forever, you know. Right. And he regular street clothes, blue jeans, white tennis shoes, a white shirt with blue and white white thin stripes, and he had his clothes over his shoulder for the day, and he had his white duffel bag in him. Kansas City Royals, I think, was the team he he was going he wanted to pitch for all his life, so he had a Kansas City Royals gym bag he carried around. And and Roger comes in and he says, excuse me, Bart, the director, but excuse me, Bart, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Rich, I want you to meet the host of our show. This is Bob Barker. And the first thing in my head, Ken, was for the first thing was, wow, such formality. Uh-huh. Rich, I'd like to introduce the host of our show, Bob Barker. First, the formality, and, and then the the second fleeting thought was, Jesus, of course, that's Bob Barker. I mean, <laughs> Bob Barker, you know what I mean? And stood up, and uh, Mr. Barker had already dropped his gym bag and was reaching his hand across this large table to shake my hand, and I stood up and and he says, well, Rich, it's a it's a pleasure to have you with us today. I think you're going to have a splendid time. And I said, oh, thank you, Mr. Barker. I appreciate it. I just hope I don't screw it up. And he was picking up his duffel bag as as I was saying that. And he was already turning. And, and as I said, I just hope I don't screw it up. He was already kind of walking out the door. And he said, it, it doesn't matter if you do. And he looked back and he said, it doesn't matter if you do. And I thought, wow, that's so cool of him. He just <laughs> took pressure, Ken, right off of me. Like, I'll stop tape for you. I'll fix it. Don't sweat it. If you screw it up, don't sweat it. We know it's your first day. Well, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that The Price is Right never stopped tape. During the Bob Barker era, <laughs> it was shot as a real live show. If there was a mistake, Mr. Barker was going to call it out and make fun of it and have, you know, have some fun with it, I should right. say. Right. And um, it was just Bob saying what he said, you know, don't don't worry about it. If you do, just really took the pressure off me 100%. And that was my first meeting with Bob. It, it maybe lasted 60 seconds, 120 seconds, that first thing. Because he was like, look, I know you guys are all busy and everything's on a clock. Rehearsal is right after that morning show meeting. So he knew we were, you know, he didn't want to hold us up and he was out. But it was pretty cool. I was I was elated to meet him. Okay, so you do the show for a week, and I guess they were using other people as well, auditioning. Yes. What happened next? Well, you know, that that first day, I finished that first show. Let me tell you about this, because it goes to what happened at the end of the week. I finished that first show that Monday morning, and I had a couple of pickups to do. And you know what pickups are, but I'll tell Mm -hmm. the folks watching their their lines that the announcer may have flubbed or um timing may have not been right with a with a door opening as i said a new car maybe it was like a new car you know and then the doors opened or whatever and we're going to reshoot it or they need to re-record me on a pickup line so i knew i had a couple of pickup lines to do they told me right away as soon as the show is over 
But I was hell-bent on getting a photo with Bob. I thought, you know, if I sucked on that first show and I never get – and they just say, hey, thanks a lot. It was great. You know, we're going to get somebody else to come in, in tomorrow. I, I wanted a photo with Bob Barker. I, I – and so as soon as that show was over and they said, okay, Rich, stand by. Once the audience is gone, you got a couple of pickups. I said, I said, okay, I'll be right back. And they were like, no, 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 don't go. And I, was, and I just took my headphones off. I put them down, picked up my little camera, my little digital camera. And I ran over to where Bob had exited the stage and I caught up with him. I said, Mr. Parker, Mr. Parker. Yes. Hi, Rich. I said, can I get a photo with you real quick before you, you go backstage? Yes. Yes. I'd be happy to. And he put his arm around me and he goes, and I want you to know that you did a splendid job today. And I, I mean, I was like, oh, my God, Bob Barker just today. But then I was like, you know, the person taking the picture was like, I don't know, being goofy or weird or something. I was trying to hurry him. I was like, you know, hey, picture, picture, you know, snap a couple, please. And and, you know, Bob's holding on to me. And and so the picture was taken. I said, thank you, Bob. Thank you very much. You know, and uh, I'll see you at the second show later this afternoon. And And boom, I ran back to my podium to to do these pickup lines and and now the audience is gone and um i'm standing there and the associate director upstairs he said he intercoms down to the basement of cbs where the editors are and he's like are you guys standing by here we go you know and all right pick up line one page 13 you know top of the paragraph rich you know please and, and all the way down to such and such and so so i do these pickup lines for them and and um i get done and i i looked up and I hadn't noticed it, but the entire time I was doing the pickup lines, well, the lights had all gone out in the studio, and um, the audience is completely gone. The cameramen were all gone. The stagehands were all gone. The producers were all gone. I was alone. I was I was literally alone standing on the stage of The Price is Right in pitch dark, except for the little pen light that was over my copy. And I turned that off, and it was pitch dark. I could see a little bit of light coming through the huge stage doors the huge elephant doors they were closed but i could see through and i was like oh my god where is everybody <laughs> you know i thought certainly somebody would come up to me with notes you know associate producer producer somebody i thought somebody would come up to me with some notes hey do this don't do that timing on this was a little slow you know pick up the pace here you know i just i don't know i don't know what i was looking for i was i was looking for some criticism I wanted to be the best I could be, and I wanted to use that first show. I wanted to get some notes off that first show to see how I could do better on the next show. And there was nobody around, Ken. Nobody. You were like in the Price is Right escape room. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I You know what I thought at that moment when I was by myself? I mean, the first thing I, I said, well, you know, Crime and Etley, where is everybody? And why isn't anybody here giving me a critique? And I, I actually did for a moment take it in and go, Wow. Here it is, your first day. They barely know you, and they've entrusted you with this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was alone. And everything is there. Everything's backstage. All the prize cards, all the everything. And you know, all the all the all the little the ball, the the shell for shell game, the it, just all the little stuff is there. It's all sitting at, and I, I was like, wow, I felt humbled that they trusted me with all this stuff you know what i mean i thought i maybe there's some larceny in my heart that was like you could steal that if you wanted to you know what i mean but i <laughs> but I, I was honored i was honored to be there by myself that they that they all just left and and didn't care that that i was there you know in their space in their property and and that was kind of cool to me i thought wow i'm, I'm kind of in 
You know, I felt I felt like I was accepted a little bit, but I collected all my papers at my podium and I started walking back to my dressing room thinking, OK, maybe there's a producer back there waiting for me. Nobody. I, I, I put my stuff in my dressing room. I came on. I went back out into the mammoth hall outside of all the stages and it was empty except for different prizes. I saw different cars now sitting out there already. And I saw one stagehand from another show walking out, young and restless, across the way. And I said, where is everybody? And he yelled out, lunch! And he pointed down the hall. And I looked down the hall. I didn't see anything or anybody, but I just walked that way. And I didn't know, but that was the direction to the commissary. Commissary, yeah. And I get there, and obviously there's 200 people in there. I mean, it's busy. It's loud. It's people getting food and in line. And and I was like, God, this, I was eating it up. This was my... Even though I did Flamingo Fortune and I had some production sense and knew how things kind of went, this was my first big Hollywood show at a network. And uh, I thought to myself right away, I thought, like I was all morning, by the way, in, in, in the dressing room. It wasn't my dressing room. It was Johnny Olson's dressing room. It was Rod Roddy's dressing room. And I couldn't help but think that. The entire time I was in there or the entire time I was on stage, oh, my God. I, and when I was standing there in the dark after that first show, Ken, I actually thought, how many times did Johnny and Rod stand here after their pickup lines and the place was completely dark just like this? You know, I thought this is the norm. This is this is how it goes. And, you know, if you're going to work here, this is you better get used to it. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to experience everything. I wasn't hungry, by the way, when I got down to the commissary. I was so juiced on <laughs> last show with Bob Barker. I could have dieted for a week. Yeah. But I got in line because I said to myself, I want to experience an entire taping day like Johnny and Rod used to do. You know, I want to experience the entire thing. If today is my last day, I kept thinking that if today is my last day, I want to experience it all. So I got in line. I got something. I sat down with some of the crew. I ate and the crew was my clock because they were like, hey, man, aren't you supposed to be in a production meeting right now? I was like, oh, Jesus. And I, 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 and I had a second production meeting to do because the second rehearsal is coming up for the second show. And, and so it, it, it was just, it was awesome, Ken. It was awesome. Okay. So you do the week's worth of shows. You go back to Palm Springs. Yeah. How long did it take before you got the call? And tell me about the call itself. So I told that story about standing that studio alone on that first day because i get done with the week's worth of shows and i had pickup lines and the studio is dark again and there's nobody around i thought certainly okay after the full week here somebody's definitely going to come say something to me and again i walked back to my dressing room thinking okay it's gonna it's gonna i had a premonition that roger would be standing there with some notes to, you know hey mm -hmm. the week, but you know this that and the other there wasn't nobody there again and I collected my clothes and my bag, and I walked out to my, pardon me, my car. I got in my car, started driving back to Palm Springs. I'd stayed in Hollywood, by the way, the, the the week's worth of shows that I did. So I was driving back to Palm Springs, and I called my wife, and I said, hi, honey. She said, how'd it go? I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I think I sucked. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, nobody said anything to me the entire week she said, not even Roger Dobkowitz, you know, producer. So I said, no, nobody, not a note, not, not a critique, nothing. And she said, well, you know, what about Bob? Did Bob say anything to you? I said, well, other than that first day, 
She said, what do you say to you on the first day? I said, well, we were taking a picture together. And he said, you did a splendid job today. And he was all beaming. She goes, well, there you go. What more do you need than freaking Bob Barker telling you did a splendid job? And I was like, you know what? She, she's right. You know, regardless of what producers or the director or anybody thought of me, it really mattered what Bob Barker thought of me. Bob was executive producer. Bob called every shot. Bob knew every nuance of that show. Bob knows where every penny is spent on that show. You know, from a roll of tape to a huge gaming piece. Um, and I and that gave me a lot of solace when she said, "What? Did, hey, Bob Barker said you did a splendid job. Talk about going through hoops to get a job. Wow. Okay, that's part one of my two-part interview with Rich Fields. Next week, we talk a lot about Bob Barker and game shows in particular. Please come back for that. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to John Wolfert, to Howard Hoffman, Bruce and Jason Miller. My email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. You can follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, and you can see my New Yorker cartoons. Again, come back next week for more with Rich Fields right here on Hollywood and Levine.